Tonight, we're going to talk about Ephesians. We're going to talk about Ephesians, and we're going to do that during the season of Epiphany. How many of you have heard that? The season of Epiphany, yes? So we celebrate in this church with the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox seasons of the Christian church year, like Advent or Lent. We'll be reading our community Bible experience during the season of Lent in preparation of Easter. But right now we're in Epiphany, or ordinary time, and Epiphany is a fancy word that means really to make known, or a showing, or a revelation. And it comes after Christmas, and it's the time when the three kings, or the wise men, revealed that Jesus was the king. And so the thing is, when I think about Epiphany, I think about the text we're going to finish talking about tonight, I think about we all want to be in the know. If it's something as serious as Aaron and Amanda, because we care, we want to know what's going on. My goodness, doesn't Aaron and Amanda want to know what's going on? You know how it is in a hospital. You wish that neurologist was just always in there, constantly. Not every eight hours. Good night. We want to be in the know. We want to be in the know, whether it's celebrity gossip, or for me, Mavs trade rumors, or what's going on with my little girls or babbling. We want to be in the know. It's just part of it. And I think that that desire, that drive, somehow gets translated when we think of God. And we think of serious things like I just mentioned, whether it's times in the hospital or what's next for my career, what's next for my job. We want to know. And so it gets translated to God because we say things like, well, it's his mysterious will. It's his mysterious plan. I don't know what he's up to. And the truth is, while we want to be in the know, we just don't know what God's up to all the time. But we have his word, we have the scriptures, we have Jesus who is the word, and we also have tonight, in the longest sentence in the New Testament, a song or a sentence of praise, and it all boils down to Paul praising God for making his plan known. So we've got epiphany, Jesus is king, he's made it known. And the longest sentence in the New Testament says, praise be to God the Father who has done all of this stuff in Christ. He's made his plan known. So I think in some places, in some ways, God doesn't want to play everything close to the vest. I think God delights in showing us that he does have a plan. He does work among us. And it's not as mysterious always as we may think. And so tonight I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I told you this is the longest sentence of the New Testament. We covered the first half of it last week. We kicked the last half out until tonight. And so we talked about um, the plan. What is God's plan? What is the plan that he's made known? The plan that Paul is praising God for. And we broke down the first ten verses of this sentence really this way. The first verse uh, of this section in uh, one chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 1 verse 3 is a benediction. It's basically, bless God for blessing us in Christ. Then he goes on and he says, how did he bless us? Well, let me take it all the way back to the beginning and it says, here's God's plan in the past. Or in Ephesians 1, he says, before the foundation of the world. It wasn't by accident. God had a plan and he set it in motion way back in the day. 
That was God's plan in the past, verses four to six. Then we moved and we looked at God's plan in the middle. Because God had set off this plan and we talked about words like chosen and predestined, and if that lights your fire and you wanna hear about all that fun stuff, encourage you to go back and listen to that and talk about maybe a different way of understanding chosen and predestined in a way that hopefully doesn't make you squeamish about God choosing you, you, and you, and not you. We talked about that last week. But God's plan in the middle was that we would have redemption, that we'd have forgiveness of sins. And this was, by God's pleasure, he revealed to us in Jesus. God made this known, and Paul is praising him for it. So then I said, tonight, we're gonna look at God's plan in the future. He made known what's going to happen in the future. Maybe not in the kind of detail that we want, like in a hospital room or what's next for my career or my life, but he does give us what I said to use an analogy last week. He gives us the last stop in the train. If you recall last week, just by way of introduction again, I'll say we should think of God's plan now not as a cosmic blueprint that he unfolded before the foundation of the world in which he planned every meticulous detail, every step you'd take and breath you'd take and every sting song that he would write because I just quoted it unintentionally. <laughs> I lost. Not, he didn't plan everything out like a cosmic blueprint. I encourage you instead to think of God's plan more like a train, specifically the Montreal Metro, the subway system. And so when we think of God's plan, we think about God making it known. And tonight, when we look at the last stop, if we would just learn that confusing at times, French, last stop of the train, we'd know that we can trust that we'll make it there on the end. So God's plan is less of a meticulous blueprint and more like a train in which he has said, I'm going to watch, rescue the world in Jesus and through Jesus. And no matter what, we're going to wind up at the last stop. God is so powerful, we're going to see tonight, that he doesn't have to meticulously plan every breath you take, every step you take. He doesn't have to do that. God has set off the train. He's gathering up a people. He's rescuing the world in Jesus and through Jesus. And as a side note, don't you know that we are teaching our children at this moment that very plan, that God is rescuing the world in Jesus. We use the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we give to our babies when they're dedicated, and it says every story whispers his name, and everything that God's up to is pointing to Jesus, and that's what we're about as a church. That's also what God is about in his plan. So we're going to look then at the last half of the sentence, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to keep that last stop in mind that God has made known to us, not every detail, but we know he's going to bring the train safely home at the end of time. Let's look, beginning in verse eight, that last bit of verse eight. We're gonna start there, we're gonna read all the way through to verse 14, and then we're gonna circle back around. Tonight is a dense night, just like last night, because Paul is just on fire. So this is kind of another theologizing night. But if you stick with me, we'll see that it has everything to do with the way we live our life in Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 8 of chapter 1, okay? It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So with all wisdom and understanding, what did he do? He made known to us the mystery of his will 
Well, how did he do that? Why did he do that? According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now this is where he shifts after that plan and he goes forward to expand on this whole chosen and being a people for God. Look at verse 11 as we finish reading our section tonight. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What's the last stop of God's plan? It is that he is going to rescue the world in Christ. What's the promise, though, that we read tonight? Here's what I want you to know tonight. Let's look at this. This is on the screen. If you are in Christ... God has blessed you with his very self as a promise he will bring you safely to him. All of this stuff about God's plan, all of this stuff about he's going to get us safely home. If you're in Christ, God has blessed you with his very self, we just read it, with the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a promise he'll bring you safely to him. That's what I want you to know tonight. So if we get lost in the weeds, would we at least get that? That's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. Ready? Hope. Hope. Are we a people of hope? Because if we knew the last stop, if we knew that God has not only made it known to us, but if we know that he's given us a promise of his very self, then it makes sense that we would be a people of hope. We look to the future, not like the Left Behind movie, where it's some chaos. We look as God's chosen people, predestined from the foundation of the world to be a people that he's going to get safely to the end. We look not with fear, we look with hope, and we see the future as friend. Right now in this moment, is the future friend to you? And I don't even mean left behind or Nicolas Cage running around with helicopters. Is the future friend to you in the face of loss this week? Is the future friend to you in the face of uncertainty? Is the future friend to you even if things are okay and you're afraid for when they're not okay again? Is the future friend? I'm asking you as a church to hope. I'm asking us to hope that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And God has, by his good pleasure, as we venture back to verse 8, according to his good pleasure, 
with all His wisdom and all His understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure. He made known to us the mystery. What's the mystery? When Paul word, uses this word mystery, he's going to use it elsewhere in this letter. This won't be the last time we see it in Ephesians. A mystery is something that was hidden but is now made known. And God, according to His pleasure, has delighted in going, whoosh, look at this. Does, is it God that like flamboyant like that, like a magician? Whoosh, look at this. According to His good pleasure, something that was hidden is now made known. What's been made known? There's two things that Paul's going to get at in the rest of this Ephesian letter. It first of all relates to, watch, people. The second thing, the mystery of His will, involves the world. The people... He's going to tell us at the end, would you look down with me, skip ahead, we'll get there in a minute, but would you look down so you know I'm not lying, would you look down, he says, in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Watch, here's the people, here's the mystery being made known, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, or in other words, we might live for the praise of his glory. The mystery of the people, the mystery that God has made known is this. We talked about last week, there is a chosen people, Israel, and then in the middle of time, in the middle of God's plan, because of Jesus, boom, now the invitation is for all peoples of all nations in all the world to get in in God's chosen people. It's no longer just Israel invited to the party. This is a lot of what Jesus talks about in his Gospels. Inviting people to the banquet. Inviting people now into God's kingdom. Saying, hey, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. And it's even for tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and financial advisors and teachers and firemen. Even you. It's for everybody. And the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are now one. This was a problem in the first century church, and we see this in Acts, like places like Acts chapter 15. This was a big problem because the Jews were so conditioned and used to being the chosen, right? It may be like the first sibling. We just read, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, right? We are the older sibling. We're the person that's been used to having mommy and daddy all to ourselves, what happens then when baby number two comes around? Maybe that chosen older sibling gets a little, uh, gets his feathers rustled. This is what happens in the first church. This is what makes sense of letters even like Galatians. And this makes sense of the rest of Ephesians where he says, here's a mystery that is now revealed. It ain't just Israel who's chosen. Everybody who's in Christ is chosen. Israel put their hope first in Messiah like we just read, Israel did it first, maybe albeit in a shadowy way, they didn't know it was Jesus of Nazareth, but they put their hope first, but now everyone else who's come in and put their hope in Jesus of Nazareth, boom, God has got a beautiful, diverse, crazy, wild family gathered around the table, and it looks like all different shorts, sorts, shapes, and sizes of folk. The mystery is that Jews and Gentiles are now one. The mystery is that God wanted a lot of people. That's the first mystery that he made known uh, according to his will that he made known to us. The second bit, I told you what? Not just people, but what? World. The good news here, let's keep reading. Look at verse 9. 
This unity that was in Christ, it ain't just for Jews and Gentiles. That was a sign of a unity that God wants to bring about for the whole world. This is why future is friend. Let's get back to verse nine. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Everything God was gonna do that he set out to do, he's doing in Christ. And verse 10 says, this plan, this mystery was to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Okay, hang on. Every, basically to say when the train ee, creaks down to the end of time, what's going to happen? It ain't just unity of Jews and Gentiles, he says in verse 10, to bring unity to what? All things, all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Do you know, hang on with me, do you know in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Beautiful. Guess what God did through that Word in John 1? It says, in Him, all things, all things were made. And in John's Gospel, though we're not in John, John says, in Him, all things were made, and there was not a thing made that was made apart from Jesus. All things were made in Jesus, right? That's first stop of the plan. Now God has revealed here in our text tonight in Ephesians 1, guess what? If all things were made in Jesus, all things are now going to be restored in Jesus. Isn't it a blessing to you to know that your children, as well as us in this church, in a culture of fear, with every newscast and every violent thing that happens and every thing that you eat that's going to kill you, isn't it good news to know that all of the earth, all of creation, that's groaning, that's waiting, when the train pulls in, it's not just good news for people, it's good news for world, universe, and we look to the future and say, if Jesus made all things, or if God the Father made all things through Jesus, guess what? He's going to, through Jesus, restore the world. That's good news. That's gospel. That's a king that I can get behind. I don't understand the king that's going to ball up the whole thing and burn it. I do understand the king who's going to, with fire, purify and restore creation back to the way it ought to be. Because guess what? We know very good and well before the fullness of time, right, that things are not so great or how they ought to be. The mystery that God is delighted to share with us is this. Future is friend. Hope. God will restore all things through Jesus. And the good news is that this sentence that Paul is jamming on is not just about the Father doing all of this in the Son, although that word, that phrase, in Christ, that I've been going on and on and on and on and on and about for the last several weeks and will continue to go on and on about in Christ, that phrase, in Christ, or some variation of it, appears 11 times in these 200-some words of Greek. In Him, in Christ, in the Beloved One, in Him, in Christ, 11 times. It's not just God the Father. And Paul is relentless in praising God the Father. 
He's relentless in praising God the Father and saying there's nothing that God has done to save us or show us how to live apart from what He's done in Christ. That's what I said last week. I'll say it again. God the Father, God the Son, there's nothing He's done to save us or show us how to live apart from what He's done in Jesus Christ. Verse 11, we see that this relational trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are all involved in the game to get us from point A to rescue. And He doesn't just tell us or reveal it to us. He's going to actually put money down in the bank and give us His very self in the Holy Spirit. Look with me in verse 11. In Him, that is in Christ, okay? You see the Father, Son, and now we'll get to the Spirit. All working to bring all of this plan and rescue to fruition. In Him, we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan. So this sounds a lot like good Bible students. Verse 5, chosen, predestined. All these scary words, right? Wrong. He's chosen a people and marked out the path for us to go in Christ. But not only that about the people, He also works out what? Everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. He works out how much stuff? Everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? I'll tell you perhaps what this means. If God's plan that He's revealed to us is less like a blueprint where every meticulous thing has been planned, and more like a train in which God, through His power and through even honoring our choice, that train is going to reach the desired end. We see in places here, like we just read, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, also in great chapters like Romans chapter 8. Write down Romans chapter 8. If you're having a bum day and you're just you know, bummed because of the rain and your headache and all this, read Romans chapter 8 and then go run a marathon because it's rock and roll. It's like awesome. Read Romans chapter 8. Here and in Romans chapter 8, he says, guess what? Even though this world is groaning, even though things are not how they ought to be, Paul paints a vision of God who is not static or sitting back watching his blueprint unfold. God is not static. He is active. God is actively at work in your life right now. Every bad thing that happens, what is God doing? I believe when He is working everything in conformity, He is somehow allowing these bad things to happen. But watch what He's doing. He is actively coming underneath it and bending it according to His final destination, which is rescue. I believe that God is more powerful more powerful to look evil in the face, to have risked a creation just wrecked by disease and darkness and demonic forces and illness and violence and racism. He risked all of this and said, I am so powerful that I can honor my creation's choice to choose life or to choose death. And I'm so powerful 
that when the chaos and darkness intervenes, I'm going to exert a power underneath it and bend it back to the last stop. And if that sounds crazy, I'll point you to the cross of Christ. Because for Pontius Pilate and for Herod, and you can look in Acts chapter 4 for this too, all of these men who said, this is what I will do. This is the most heinous evil in the history. I will murder the cru- I will crucify the God-made flesh, the Messiah and King. They chose to do this, and God says, watch. What you set out to do is not my downfall, is not his downfall. It is actually the most powerful breaking open of my love and rescue the world has ever known. And just to show you I'm serious, he's raised with power on the third day. And he proclaims good news, release to captives, redemption, and says, guess what? What man meant for evil, the cross of Christ, that dark Good Friday, because of me dealing with all this mess on Easter Sunday, I proclaim to you I'm victorious, I'm the king, and I will bend all of this junk back into order at the last stop at the end of the age and all those who believe in me who place their faith and trust in me will wind up safe even though they must suffer even though it grieves me when they're sick I will heal them and the times in the war zone of this life where that doesn't happen We can still hope and look ahead and see future as friend and say, if not today, I know one day the King of kings and Lord of lords will gather me to himself and say, well done, all things are restored. Just as I created you, I will restore you and you are mine. That's power to me. What's less power to me is the God who's wringing his hands and has to have everything meticulously planned out. To me, a vision of God who is laboring with creation, who makes a mess of it, still actively intervenes and heals us, still actively intervenes and thwarts evil. And when evil has its day, The battle may be won, but the war won't because he's at work, constantly working, as Ephesians says, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So, if we're in Christ, God has blessed you, not only with this hope, but we're about to see his very self as a promise that he'll bend the whole train back to bring us safely to him. Let's look at the last section Tonight, verse 12. He's working all of this out in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. Basically, we talked about this verse earlier. A little nugget here is, you weren't just blessed to be blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to the praise of His glory. You're blessed, are we a people not just of hope, but blessed and a blessing to people like Deanna. And a sign to the day when he'll bend everything back and she won't have to worry about sleeping outside. We won't have to worry about lesions on our brain. 
Are we a signpost to bless others and speak a good word that future is friend and Jesus is with us and he will be with us? We're blessed to be a blessing. How are we doing with that, church? Is all the blessing and all the good stuff, does it stay here? Or are our core practices not just fun words to put up on slides or beautiful graphic design prints or our website? Are we blessing the neighborhoods and cities in which we live? I'm not coming down on you. I'm saying, am I blessing the neighborhoods and cities in which I live? Am I a sign to the end game where future is friend? So, in case you're wondering, well, I know maybe I'm blessed, maybe I'm not. Maybe. How can I be sure that God will bring unity? Or, I love the NRSV, it says, gather it all up. How can I be sure that Jesus will gather it all up in my life? Let's just zoom in from the cosmic, universal, global. Let's zoom in like Paul does here in these last verses. If you're doubting, if you're despairing, if you're hearing the word hope and wondering, yeah, right, hear the words of Paul. Verse 13. You also were included, here it is again, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth. What's the message of truth? The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, just in case you're doubting, just in case you're despairing, just in case you're second guessing if I'm really in Christ, or if you grew up in these parts, is Jesus really in my heart, just in case you're doubting that, just in case when you screw up and you're despairing and you say, man, I messed up again. How long is this going to plague me? How long am I going to worry about this sin? How long am I going to be despairing? How long am I going to be worrying? Just in case that's you, God, not only according to his great pleasure, told us the end game, he marked us as his very own. He not only chose us and predestined, what does it say there at the end of verse 13? You, you, us, y'all, were marked in Him with a seal. What does that seal look like? The promised Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit who was promised. Make note of Joel 2. We don't have time to look at it. The plan for God was that He would be with His people who are His inheritance, His people. And Joel 2 says, guess what? You're going to have the Spirit of God Almighty dwell in you, with you, unifying you, empowering you. It's going to be in you. And then in Acts chapter 2, Joel 2, the promise, Acts 2, the fulfillment, Peter says, y'all remember Joel 2? This is Joel 2 in action. The Holy Spirit became resident with God's people. The Holy Spirit that united Peter, Paul, and what we just read, all those who believed in Christ is still resident, uniting us in Christ. And when it says you're marked with a seal, a seal was a signet ring or a 
a, a logo, and it was placed, you've seen it in the old, like, uh, medieval movies. You got that hot wax, and you take that ring, and the king goes, hmm, yes, and he puts that thing down, and it seals it, it stamps it. The same thing was going on in the ancient world. Did you know that even, I learned this week, that they would mark their cattle. Anything of value, they marked with a seal. God values his people, values them enough to say, here's my seal. Make no mistake, don't find a forgery. That seal marks it out as God's, and a seal in the ancient world means that if you received a letter that was still sealed, it's the same as true today, if you get that birthday check from grandma in the mail and it's still sealed, you know that nobody jacked that $5 bill in there. God marked it out as his, but he also says a seal means you're going to be delivered, watch, intact. He who began a good work in you, who set the train in motion, is going to bring it to completion. I've referenced that twice now. That's Philippians 1, I think, verse 6. He's going to bring the train safely home. And just like I said early, earlier, it's because he promised us and gave us him, his very self, and that self is the Spirit of God, the seal that marks us, that says we're His when you don't feel like it. Sit and let the Holy Spirit, as John will say in 1 John, remind you and let you cry out, Abba, even if you're breaking in your voice when you say it. Oh, that we would be a church awake to the power of the Spirit of God in our midst when we pray for people in our midst, when we want to make the next right decision, oh, that we would have the power and seal and marking that we're God's and he's given us his very self. He not only gave us a seal which told us that we're his and we'll get there intact, he says this spirit, this Holy Spirit, verse 14, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. To the praise of God's glory. To summarize the longest sentence, bless God for blessing us and marking us with the Holy Spirit. God not only marked us, verse 14 says, he paid a deposit. The Holy Spirit in us, unifying us, is the deposit he paid, the down payment, you know it, the thousand bucks he put down on that Toyota Tundra that you got to pay off for the next 15 years. He made the payment and he says, this truck is mine, this people is mine, and I'm giving you earnest money that I care about it. He paid the down payment, the deposit. And what does it do? It guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. A friend of mine, because um, I guess he owed me or out of the kindness of his heart, he bought me in December and himself tickets to Wilco, which is my favorite band, rock and roll. Go listen to Wilco after you finish reading Ephesians and your community Bible experience. He bought me tickets in December. And that concert is not until April. It's not just the down payment that you pay for and you get to drive. There's also in view this thing that says God purchased us in December, but we don't get to redeem that 
until I actually walk in the doors of the auditorium and get to fully embrace and fully accept the greatness that is Wilco. I know it's a cheesy metaphor, but what Paul has in mind here is he gives you the earnest money and it's a seal and it's a down payment, but it's also a foretaste of something greater that he will bring his people to the end and we are God's prize. Ordinary, nasty, stinky, beautiful us. We're God's prize. If you don't like the Wilco tickets, God gave us the engagement ring and says, our wedding date is set in the fullness of time and you will be mine in so much more of a deep and beautiful and meaningful way on our wedding night than we were our engagement night. We are marked because we're in Christ. Watch, the Holy Spirit is in us. The Father, according to His good pleasure, wanted you. So He sent the Son to get you. And then He sent the Spirit who came to empower you. As we close, here's some things we learn about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a sign of God's presence in your life. Right now, stay awake to it. The Holy Spirit is with you. It's the seal of God's ownership, number two. Not it, He, or she, or whatever. I don't know. I'm not being weird about that. The Holy Spirit is some holy, other, powerful presence. He's the seal of God's ownership and the source of power for our life in Christ. Signed, sealed, delivered, intact, the source of power for your life in Christ right now. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are manifest in our life when we're aware of the power source. Because a lamp doesn't turn on if it ain't plugged in. But if we recognize this seal and sign and source of our power, the Holy Spirit will find that we look more and more like Jesus because of His power within us. So as we close, we're going to pray. And I want to invite you to pray as we sing and Spencer and Lindsay and Robbie come up and we take the bread. Maybe this good for you be a benediction. If this is for you, a theology night or a crazy, fast-paced or whatever night, would we just quiet ourselves, think about these people we've prayed for earlier, think about our hearts and our lives, and understand that we belong to God. And would we close in these moments of quiet and worship, would we close with these words I'd invite you to, to pray. Holy Spirit, promise of God, renew me in all the world. Because God promised He ain't just going to gather up all things in earth. He's going to gather up all the fractured, broken mess in you. So, let me close by praying these words and we'll come to the table and sing. Holy Spirit, promise of God, renew me and all the world.